Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Here we are, and here we go. So we've been talking about welcoming the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I, I got to tell you, it has been uh, a lot of fun for me. Um, I've been learning as I go. I mean, this is the thing I love about Jesus. It doesn't matter how long we've served him or led, loved him or walked with him. Every time we set our hearts and our minds to learn more about him, he, he comes through and teaches us some new things. So we've talked about uh, who he is as a person. We talked about the kind of person he is. We, we talked about how he comes to indwell us when we're born again. We, we talked for a little bit last week about what the Holy Spirit baptism is and what it isn't. And we're going to talk this morning about how one receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I had some great, I mean, you guys took me up on the, hey, send me your questions. Uh, thank you, mostly. Uh, no, seriously, I, I had some great questions and some great conversations about the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit baptism this week. And, and as, it, yes, that ha- that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to formulate these ideas and these concepts and explain them in email or as I'm, as I'm sitting at lunch with somebody and I'm trying really hard to find the words to articulate exactly how all of this stuff happens. And I, and I came to the conclusion that I didn't have the words. And I was getting a little bit frustrated. I'm like, words is my job. Explaining the Holy Spirit, that's my job. And I'm, I'm reading in my devotions at one point and I realized that how God moves upon us is always going to remain a bit of a mystery. And as, as I wrestled to find the words to adequately describe it, I, I just came to the conclusion that I didn't have them. I'm, I'm trying to describe a supernatural phenomenon in natural language. And so I gave myself just a little bit of grace. I'm like, hey, John, it's okay. You know, Paul didn't always explain things super, super clearly. But in the moments when I'm trying to fully understand the person, the presence, the power, the function, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I remember that he's asking me not only to understand, but to trust him in faith. Faith doesn't stop being a vital, dynamic part of our relationship with the Holy Spirit once we're born again. And and then I went back to the person who's, who's asking me to trust him in faith is that, that same Holy Spirit who is, is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful. And so I'm wrestling with all of this stuff on, on Wednesday morning, and I'm, I'm sitting with my Bible doing my soap journal, and I, I find myself in Luke chapter 18. This is what I wrote down in my journal. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So we're going to talk together this morning as we do most Sunday mornings, and we're going to seek to understand. We're going to apply our intellect, our minds, because God's given them to us and they're supposed to work. But ultimately, we're asked to place our trust in a God who has said he will only give good gifts to us. 
So if you're struggling at all to understand, one, you're in good company. Um, but two, I'm going to teach you to pray a prayer that my dad taught me years ago, my early 20s. I was struggling to understand some things about the person and the function of the Holy Spirit. And, and I had my own set of experiences from the way I was raised, and I was kind of in a, in a congregational setting with people who had a different set of, I mean, they, they had different experiences, a different way of being together as a church family. So because we're most comfortable with ours, I just thought theirs was weird. And, uh, and yet my dad said, John, pray this prayer. God, if there's anything of you in this, I don't want to miss it. I'm like, oh, that's a good prayer. Because that takes me outside of the realm of reason. Because I just won't understand all things about an unfathomable God. So my, my encouragement to you, as we just kind of move forward in our conversations this morning, if you're at all wrestling with the person or the function of the Holy Spirit, what Holy Spirit baptism is and isn't, Posture yourself this way. God, if there's anything of you in this, I don't want to miss it. Lord, that's my prayer for all of us. Whatever you're teaching, however you're leading, God, I I choose to place my trust in you by faith. I choose to pray, welcome Holy Spirit. And God, as I read scripture, I see that you surprise people time and time again by doing something beyond their experience, and at times even beyond their understanding. So, Lord, if we're entering a season where you want to do that in my life, I just say, God, if you're doing anything, if there's anything of you in whatever I'm experiencing, I don't want to miss it. Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and the courage to press into you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, quick recap. What is Holy Spirit baptism? Holy Spirit baptism is something that the Father provided. Uh, excuse me, the Father promised something that Jesus provided that allows us to live like Jesus did. Not simply to minister like Jesus ministered, but to, to follow the Father, to obey the Father, to know the Father as Jesus did. There is something dynamically engaging about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that awakens us to something about the power and the presence of God that, that we don't fully experience until we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the questions that was emailed to me this week that I, I really appreciated until I tried to answer it. Um, no, I really appreciate it. They, they said this. They said, listen, John, the disciples received the Holy Spirit when Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20. I said, absolutely, yes. But then they said the Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost. Why did they have to receive it twice? If, if God breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he did, and if the Holy Spirit fell on Acts chapter 2, question was, why did they have to receive it twice? And as I'm, as I'm unpacking that in my own heart and mind, here's the answer I came to. If by it, why did they have to receive it twice? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, then the short answer is they didn't. They didn't have to receive the Holy Spirit twice. They had a second experience in Acts chapter 2 with the same Holy Spirit that they experienced in John chapter 20. He was already present, but they experienced him in a new way. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. When, when we're born again, when we trust Jesus for our salvation, we, see, we receive the promises of the new covenant that, that Jesus teaches us about in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. And, and I, it's worth repeating. So these are the things that happen. These are the new covenant promises, what takes place when we're born again. Uh, we receive a heart that loves and wants to obey God. He says, I'll give you a, take out your heart of flesh, your, excuse me, your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. 
He says his commands are written within us. We're able to understand what it is that God wants us of us, what it means to follow as his children. He says our sins are forgiven and they're forgotten. And then he says, finally, God's spirit comes to live within us. So when we're born again, uh, the, the Bible word is we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the original language would indicate that the Holy Spirit marries himself to our spirit. And you can't marry half of a person. I mean, some of you are like, bummer, because there's some things that I'm not super happy about with the person I'm married to right now. Wendy would never suggest anything like that. So we receive all of the Holy Spirit. Say, all of the Holy Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit joins himself to us when we are born again. The Apostle Paul is, is trying to correct some division in his church, one of the churches he planted in the city of Corinth, and he writes this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, listen, don't boast about following a particular human leader. Everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter, those are some of the leaders they were starting to follow, or the world or life and death or the present and the future. And he says it again, everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So because Christ belongs to God and you belong to Christ, Everything he says belongs to you. What's his point? Remember, he's addressing division in the church, and he says, listen, it doesn't matter who you serve, where you attend, or who you follow. We're all serving the same God, and that same God has promised that all things belong to us. So everything that the Father gave to the Son, the Son has given us when we are born again. So another way of saying that is we have inherited every good thing that the Father gave the son. And when you look at the life of Jesus, not just his ministry, but his relationship to the father, and you see this, this understanding of the father's will, this intimacy with the father, and then you also see his understanding of scripture, his ability to minister in word and in deed, all of that came to him from the father by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter four, he's baptized in water. So what this scripture and others are teaching us is the same as true for you and me. When we are born again, the Holy Spirit joins himself to us, and all that God made available to Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes available to us. So if Holy Spirit makes everything that he made available to Jesus available to us, why would I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. If you've been born again, you've received all of the Holy Spirit. Now stay with me here. I'm going to say it again. If you've been born again, you have received all of the Holy Spirit. But I would suggest that there is an outstanding question yet to be answered, and that is this. Has the Holy Spirit received all of you? What are you talking about? I'm going to explain it. Again, I love these questions. Keep them coming. When you're born again, we are surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work in us to forgive, to renew, to restore, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are surrendering to the Holy Spirit's work, not in us, but through us. I'm going to unpack that for you here in just a second. Holy Spirit baptism, Jesus will tell us, and I'll show you in a minute, is an experience that has to be actively received. Holy Spirit baptism has to be activated by faith. In order to fully realize, fully utilize the, the gift of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have to reach out 
and take hold of it. Now, this is when language gets hard, okay? How do you reach out and take hold of something that is spiritual? We'll talk about that for a little bit. But what I want you to understand is Holy Spirit baptism doesn't happen to you. Holy Spirit happens with you. Baptism happens with you. You're not walking down the street one day, and God goes, oh, I'm going to get him. Boom, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is a posture that we get to take because this is a moment where God is inviting us to, to partner with him and his Holy Spirit to experience something that we would not otherwise experience. Holy Spirit baptism involves two participants. Okay? There is God who gives the Spirit, but there is also the person who receives the Spirit. And when you read in the scriptures, people receiving the Spirit, that word means to take hold of something in order to use it. It's not a passive like, oh, thank you, that's nice, and I put it. So in scripture, in the New Testament, when you receive something, you're, you're grabbing hold of it, and you're grabbing a hold of it for a purpose. Listen to how Jesus describes this. He's talking to a Samaritan woman in the well, in John, at the well in John chapter 4. And they're, they're having a conversation that she at first thinks is about kind of drinking water because he said, give me a drink, and why would you ask me, and all that. And then the, the conversation kind of evolves. And Jesus says this to her in John 4, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there is something, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that I am going to give, and to those who choose to drink of it, it is going to begin to well up within them in a unique and a powerful way. John 7, verse 37, we talked about this briefly a couple weeks ago. It's the, the, the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles, and um, Jesus is up in the temple courtyards, and, and at, at, the, at the end of the, the feast, they blow these trumpets and they pour this water out all over the altar because it's a sign of uh, appreciation, value, and trust that God is going to bring rain again because it was a very arid climate. So the trumpets blow, people pour out all this water, Jesus stands up and he starts yelling. Verse 37, he says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John goes on to say, and by this, he met the Holy Spirit. In both examples, Jesus gives the Spirit. He promises to provide something that we can take hold of. And in each of these examples, there is a responsibility on the part of the one who is receiving it to drink of it, to receive it. So when we talk about Holy Spirit baptism, we're talking about something that God provides, but we get to choose whether or not we are going to receive it, whether or not we're going to take hold of it, whether or not we're going to utilize it. This is a horribly incomplete example. This morning, Tracy, in the cafe, gave me an Americano. I was so grateful. I love me some coffee. I get here about 6 o'clock in the morning, so... That cafe opens, I make a beeline. Is the machine on. This is my cup of coffee. It's even got my name written on it right there. It's my Americano. I like it dark and bitter. I like my strong coffee. I like my coffee, and I can take my coffee with me wherever I go. 
It will never leave me. Trust me. Try to take this coffee out of my hand. We're going to have a problem. It's clearly mine. It belongs to me. It has my name on it. But it does me absolutely no good whatsoever unless I'm willing to turn it, bring it to my lips. (sighs) So too with the Holy Spirit. He is fully present with me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. I carry him with me wherever I go. And yet, I have to posture myself in a way that is willing to drink of his presence, to to receive him differently, to present myself available to him in a way that I haven't before. And when I do that, he comes within. He is activated in a different way, just like I got to drink that coffee in to get any benefit from the caffeine. It does me no good sitting in the cup, but I can still tell everybody I have coffee, right? You and I can tell people with absolute truth and conviction, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm born again. I have all of the Holy Spirit. And yet I may not be experiencing the fullness of what the Holy Spirit makes available to me. God gives all of the Holy Spirit to every believer as soon as they believe, but that doesn't mean that every believer has reached out and taken hold of his transformative power. Tracking with me? Okay. In other words, Jesus can give the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a person in potential, but it can go unreceived in practice. You've got the potential. It's right there. But until it's activated, until we are yielding ourselves to him working through us and not just in us, it's just potential. We don't have it in practice. Every born-again person has received everything they need, but not every born-again person is utilizing him. That's what I meant when I said we receive all of him at salvation, but he may not have received all of us. One more illustration. We have, a, we have a baptistry right here. Those, those lights go away. That lid comes off. We fill it up with water. And people who want to be baptized go down into it, and they're submerged. Water baptism is symbolic of being laid down into a grave. We've died with Christ. We'll also live with Christ. And we when we come up out of the water, that's, that's symbolic of us being risen uh, again with Christ. So in water baptism, I've laid myself down into the grave. In Holy Spirit baptism, right? God is very intentional. He's using the same word, baptismos, which means to immerse. In Holy Spirit baptism, I am laying myself down into him. When I'm baptized in water, there's an element of trust and surrender. If I were to get baptized next Sunday, Pete Hope would be in the tank with me. And I would be trusting that he was not going to leave me in there. That he was going to bring me back up. When we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there is that same element of trust. I am yielding myself to you. To work in me and through me. I am God, I am in this moment by faith 
willing to step outside of being fully controlled by reason and intellect, to follow the prompting, the direction, and receive the empowering of your spirit. That's what it means to come to him and drink. It simply means to be yielded, to be available, to be surrendered, and to not put a cap or a limitation on what God can or cannot do in that moment. Because my choosing to surrender to him is aligning myself with the supernatural. And I just have to tell you, sometimes I feel like I'm a smart guy. Other times I don't. Sometimes I do feel like I'm a smart guy. And I cannot, with my mind, with my intellect, fully understand the supernatural. And so it will always require an element of faith. It will require an element of trust which is why Jesus says, have a childlike faith. Come to me with innocence and with trust and with an element of vulnerability, remembering that God only gives good gifts to his children, remembering that the one we are asking to surrender to or to yield to or to allow to work in and through us is the one that we have already said is patient and loving and kind, and gentle, and self-controlled. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Salvation has to do with the Holy Spirit's work in me. Holy Spirit baptism has to do with the Holy Spirit's work through me. I become a conduit. I yield myself to the leading and the direction of the very Spirit of God. Amen. And I'll say this in fairness to everybody. Amen. That sounds a little weird. I mean, can we just be honest? Let's, let's talk about weird for a minute. Let's talk about tongues. <laughs> you going to go there? Yep. Why not? Why not? I had, uh, I had another great question. Somebody asked me this week, we're, we're having lunch, and, and here's the thing. When, when people talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they almost always focus on one gift in particular, and that's the gift of tongues. And he just said, John, what is up with that? I mean, seriously, what is up with that? There are so many other gifts of the Spirit. Why do we always start with tongues? And I thought it was a fair question, and I didn't have an immediate answer. So I thought, I probably need to think about that. Um, because I had already written part of the message about tongues. And so <laughs> I had to ask myself, John, why are you starting there? Because what he said to me was, John, doesn't that put an unfair expectation on people that that is the most significant gift? I mean, if that's where you start with, you are almost, by definition, saying all of the other ones are secondary. And I, and I said to him with great kindness and respect, well, I'm not saying all of the other ones are secondary. But here's why we're going to talk about tongues this morning. One. Tongues is the first spiritual gift we see in operation in the book of Acts. It's the first, so it's the first one we're going to talk about. Secondly, of all the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues is the only gift that Paul teaches us that is for the edification of the individual. 
The word edification means to build up. So speaking in tongues, praying in other languages is a spiritual gift that builds me up on the inside. All of the other gifts are for the building up or the edification of others. And here's the third reason we're going to talk about tongues. Tongues is the one we have the hardest time getting our heads around. And fear of speaking in tongues can actually be a barrier that keeps people from entering into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I just figure let's start with the weirdest one first. Let me talk to you a little bit about what it is and what it isn't. Because I want to free you of the fear that should you yield to the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's going to do something that you don't like. Can I just remind you, Holy Spirit baptism, two participants, him and you, and that he is a loving, faithful, kind, self-controlled person. Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. I wonder if we use that phrase, other languages, instead of tongues, if we might be able to have a less weird conversation. Right? Tongues means languages. Um, They began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Who gave them the ability? Holy Spirit. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They all exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. Basically, everyone in the known world is here right now, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this be? They asked each other. Peter stands up and he goes, hey, guys, let me explain this to you. Um, This is what Joel promised, that the Spirit of God was going to be poured out on people and they're going to prophesy. There is something prophetic about what is happening right now. But what's just happened? An entire group of people, about 120 people, are baptized with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in a language that they have never learned. With me? Speaking a language, they didn't learn it, suddenly... They can speak it. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel's history. There were many examples of the Holy Spirit coming upon people to prophesy in their own language, but never, never in another language. The people in the upper room spoke a language they hadn't learned as who directed them? Holy Spirit. Who's speaking? Who's speaking? The people. Okay, let, let me tell you why this is so important. The the people in the upper room are praying. They are giving voice to something. They are yielding their tongue to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. They are praying. The Holy Spirit is directing and giving them a new ability in how they pray. So this is, again, a moment of participation between both people and 
the Holy Spirit. So they're speaking in a new language as the Holy Spirit directs them, which is a miracle. But that wasn't the only miracle. Steve Schell, author, pastor, theologian, says each person heard all 120 voices speaking their own language. Okay? Thank you for that slide. We're not quite there yet, but I love that you guys are, I love our team. They're like, I'm going to help, I'm going to help, I'm going to help. And they are, they're amazing. Pilgrims from all over, the, all over the Roman Empire, 15 different regions that Luke names. They all show up on the way, remember, to the Feast of Pentecost, to the celebration, on the way to the temple. This noise breaks up in an upper room, and all 120 people were heard speaking in that person's native tongue. Wasn't like three people speaking Persian, three people speaking Egyptian, three people speaking Spanish. Each person who heard them heard all 120 people speaking in their native tongue. So the Holy Spirit gave each of those people a language to speak and each of those hearers the ability to hear it. And what did they hear? They heard them speaking about the mighty deeds, the wonderful things that God has done. And then Peter gets up and he goes on to preach to the crowd to explain it. What language does Peter speak? Does he speak in tongues? No. He spoke in a single language, probably Greek, because that would have been the common language of the Roman Empire. So what is speaking in tongues? What is happening? Tongues or languages, if we want to use that, is a spiritual gift that allows our human spirit to speak directly to God using words that we have never learned. Let me say that to you again. Tongues is a spiritual gift that allows our human spirit to speak directly to God using words that we have never learned. The 120 people who were praying, they were not talking to the crowd. They were talking to God. They were they were praising God in languages that they had never learned. The, the, the crowd that was listening in, they were eavesdropping. And somehow the Holy Spirit moved on them in such a way that they could hear and understand. Words that don't originate in our mind come out of our mouths. And because they don't originate in our mind, we don't understand them. And yet God does. in a beautiful, powerful way. But can we just agree together? It's, it's a little bit weird. Like, if you're sitting here going, John, that's weird. I agree. 100%. I'm with you. And yet, in the beauty and majesty of God, it's transformational. Being raised from the dead is kind of weird. Walking on water is kind of weird. Feeding 5,000 people with a couple pieces of bread and some anchovies, that's kind of weird. Fair? Every time God does something beyond our understanding, we might go, that's a little weird. And yet I trust him. Any miracle, any spiritual gift seems unnatural because it is. And that's why they're only activated by faith. Speaking in tongues. This is Dr. Shell. Holy Spirit is guiding us to say the very things we would have said if we were wise enough, good enough, 
or brave enough to have thought of them and been willing to say them. Holy Spirit is guiding us to say the very things we would have said if we were wise enough, good enough, or brave enough to have thought of them and been willing to say them. Why would I speak in tongues? Well, one, it's a gift that God gives, and he only gives good gifts, so there's one reason. Speaking in tongues is a help to me because we aren't struggling to know how to pray. Speaking in tongues, praying in the Spirit in an unknown language, helps me to pray a perfect prayer. I am praying the prayer that Jesus would pray if he was praying for me. We can pray in a way, Romans 8.26 says, that allows us to receive God's strength. Ephesians 5.18 says, we could find ourselves in a place where we are tempted to self-medicate. And as we pray in the Spirit, we actually receive God's joy. And then Jude 1.20 says, we build ourselves up in our faith. There is something that goes on inside of us as I pray in the Spirit. Got it, John. Remind me again why you're talking about tongues. Is it the best? Is it the only? Do I have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. No. Do I think you can? Well, it seems to suggest that God says I've already been given every good gift that he gave Jesus, so I, I think it's possible for anyone who's baptized in the Spirit. It comes more readily to some than others. I'm talking about tongues because I want to deconstruct any kind of fear you would have that might keep you from surrendering to the Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do. Holy Spirit baptism, I'm yielding to his work through me. And if we could just take these few minutes to talk about what tongues is and what it isn't, you know what it's not? It's not God taking a hold of you and forcing you to do something you don't want to do. It's not. Everything that we do with the Holy Spirit, we do in partnership. When I pray in tongues, I am yielding control of my tongue. I am allowing the Holy Spirit to direct me as I pray. But I'm taking a breath in. I'm taking a breath out. I'm activating my vocal cords. And I'm beginning to vocalize what the Holy Spirit is saying. How? John, like, like, I'm an engineer. Mechanically, how does that happen? I do not know. If I did, I'd tell you. And anyone else who tells you I know exactly how it happens, I'd be a little suspect. I'm not sure that's entirely true. I think one of the reasons that people get so confused or agitated or fearful about speaking in tongues is that words are how we express ourselves. They're tools we use to tell other people things that are deeply personal. What we, what we think and what we feel comes out of our mouth, and it's filtered through our brain. Every other spiritual gift allows the conscious mind to remain active and filter what we say. If I feel like I have a word of prophecy for you or a word of encouragement for you, I'm going to come up to Ray, and I'm going to start to tell him. And as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm still yielded to the Holy Spirit's direction. As with every spiritual gift, but my mind is still engaged. I'm watching his face to see if he thinks I'm nuts. I'm, you know, like his body language, like is he going to start running? I'm, I'm listening to see if these words, am I putting them together in the right order? My mind is fully, it's like I'm almost assessing what I'm doing while I'm doing it. But when I pray in the Spirit, I can't do any of those things. I am yielding myself completely, totally to the direction of the Holy Spirit. 
to the point where I don't understand what I'm saying. Paul makes it really clear, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. I pray in tongues, my spirit's praying. I don't understand what I'm saying. And yet Paul would also say, man, I pray in tongues more than anybody. And I wish you would too. John, is the point that you want us to speak in tongues? No. The point is that Holy Spirit baptism is probably, next to salvation, the singular most transformative experience you can have, the most intimate moment you can have with the very Spirit of God that will change how you see Jesus, how you see yourself, how you see the world. It will empower you to live out your faith in a way that is not possible without it. And I just don't want you to get hung up and be kept from that because of a fear of what might happen with this weird thing over here. Does that make sense? Would my hope for you as your pastor be that you would be filled with the Spirit of God and be released in a prayer language? 100%. Do I require it of you? Of course not. I just know what becomes possible when, when we do. I suspect my inbox is going to blow up. Okay, now I got questions. And if you do, I'm so happy to talk about them. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.